0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.
1: Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show, I have with me Mr. Marcel Stewart. Now, Marcel is a theatre artist. uh, He works in performance practices rooted in the research of what stories have been told, how they have been told, and by whom, and the freedom to ask questions and responsibility to propose change is what inspires him. And through theater, Marcel holds a mirror up to the world and reflects on his position in it. And he, he is consistently exploring new ways of telling stories, currently On screen through film and theatre and also through spoken word, I guess, because we're going to talk about something that he's been working on uh, called Freedom. He's also, uh, most recently, he co-wrote a short film called Chance. Now, Marcel is the project lead and outreach coordinator for Suitcase in Point. I wanted to ask him about that a little bit. Suitcase in Point is a core ensemble of like-minded artists, who desire to engage and excite the Niagara area and also the broader community with original theater and performance. And we're now going to be talking with Marcel about something he put together called Freedom, and it's an audio mixtape of original songs, stories, poems, anecdotes, spoken word pieces from uh, people living in the Niagara region, and it was originally conceived as a piece to celebrate Emancipation Day. And uh, the recent global response to uh, murders of several people, including George Floyd and others, have awakened many people to the fact that emancipation was just an early step in the fight towards true equality. So it's a pleasure to welcome Marcel to the show. Marcel, pleasure to have you here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah. So listen, uh, can you explain a little bit more before we get into Freedom, the mixtape, Uh, Suitcase in point, how did you get involved with that?
0: Yeah, so uh, I was a performing artist in Toronto for over 10 years and um, I had a breakdown of sorts Mm -hmm. and um, was met with uh, some real frustrations around institutional learning believing in the myth of scarcity, that there's only certain places I can perform as an artist. Mm. And uh, I really was grinding myself down um, for essentially pittance, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, I needed to take a break. And so I I left Toronto, my dad and his partner were out in Niagara on the lake. I took some time to take care of myself um, and figure out what, you know, find my spark. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm. And uh, in doing that, I went to university in St. Catharines. I went to Brock University. Oh, yeah. um, and so I decided to just take a trip down to St. Paul Street, wander around, see if you know a professor was around or, or, or whatever. <laughs> and I bumped into a former prof of mine who mentioned that suitcase in point was hiring an outreach coordinator. And um, my work uh, as a performer uh, did involve some arts education, outreach mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was familiar with that. But truthfully, I didn't know St. Catharines because I hadn't been here since 2007, since mm-hmm. I graduated. Uh, so I was a bit apprehensive. But anyways, I went to suitcase, introduced myself. Um, they let me know you know, where the job posting was. I applied, had an interview a week later and uh, was given the job a week after that. So January, 2019, I started, I officially moved all my things to St. Catharines and <laughs> and began the job. Um, and it was interesting because at that time, my my dad's dad, my grandfather, um, his cancer had come back mm. quite severely. And so my dad and I had plans to take a trip to the UK end of 2018. Mm. Um, but we wanted to hold off. And we said, all right, if I get the job, then we can make the move. Mm. So <laughs> got the job. And then I think we booked a ticket a couple of days later. And on the 27th, 28th of December, we flew out there. And it's so wild. Like my my dad, my grandfather, and me, we went for a walk the afternoon that we landed. And virtually, it was the last time my grandfather took a walk. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's remarkable how perfectly things aligned. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember digging through a lot of his boxes and books at home and, uh, in Bristol, England, where my family is at and, and bringing a bunch of that culture memories, pride with me to St. Catherine's. Mm. Uh, and, and that's how I started the job. So, you know, I spent, it's interesting. My grandfather was a part of, a bus boycott movement in UK during the uh, 60s, 70s. And um, I heard lots of stories about you know, uh, revolutions or mm. resistance and resistance mm-hmm. and him standing up for what he believes in and how like everybody in the community knew who he was. And he took the time to just go out and meet people and and get to know folks. And everybody knew Albert Stewart. You knew Albert Stewart? Yeah, I know <laughs> Albert Stewart. And so I, I came to St. Catharines and I realized like I didn't know anybody. Mm. Uh, and my job is to reach out to the community and coordinate you know, reaching out. So I just sent emails to folks, to mm. organizers, leaders, community members, and was just like, "Hey, do you want to grab a coffee? I'd love to hear what you've got going on, and if there's something that we can do at Suitcase to, you know, amplify that, support it, uh, or collaborate." Uh, and so, yeah, for the first few months, it was just a lot of coffee dates. <laughs> 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 That's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that. And I can't help but. Hear
1: in that in those stories uh, how perhaps some of those stories and some of that experience transformed into the freedom mixtape, and uh, you know I hear directly you know you mentioned Bristol you mentioned your family in Bristol, and tell me about how mixtape came about.
0: Yeah, uh, admittedly mixtape has been brewing in me for. Quite a long time, but I wasn't sure what medium mm. uh, would best serve it or mm. it would it would live in. Mm. Um, and um, my my working partner and I, Deanna Jones, we applied for a grant. To uh, it's so interesting. I I thought that this was happening in 2019. I get my years confused because mm-hmm. 2020 feels like. Okay on one hand, it feels like five years. And on another hand, it feels like it didn't happen. Like it's, so I was about to say in 2019, we applied for this (laughs) grant, but actually we applied in 2020. Um, so it came about in 2019 being in St. Catharines. And, uh, as I said, going on all these coffee dates, meeting people, learning about the rich history of, of, I guess, black, freedom seekers Mm. in the region Mm. um i knew like yes it was the last stop of the underground railroad but i didn't quite understand how uh important and integral saint catharines and niagara is and was to um you know the abolition of slavery Mm. and and to to freedom seekers Mm. in in this country Mm. um and so when emancipation day happened 2019 um I was quite struck how uh for lack of a better word, like how lackluster it felt. Like I I had heard about these grandiose picnics that took place. People traveled from all over to come to Port De and celebrate and mm. uh in style. <laughs> and uh this Emancipation Day celebration was uh, you know, a few maybe twenty people gathered in front of City Hall uh with a speech and and that was kind of it. And um I was like inspired in a way to be like, we could do better than this, <laughs> like uh, how like we can honor the tradition um, in a more theatrical, deserving way. Uh, so I reached out to some city councilors to inquire, like who organized this and how do I reach out to them? And they put me in touch with the Niagara Region Anti-Racism Association. Uh, so my father and I, we attended a few meetings. And from the get go, I was like, "I'm here because I felt like um, the information that was stated on Emancipation Day was really great, but there's a like a theatrical theatrical element mm. that I would like to contribute and add to uh, and so my colleague and I, Diana Jones, we applied for a grant um and the original concept was to do um suitcase in point isn't that far from." Uh, Harriet Tubman's church in St. Catharines, the Mm. Salem Baptist Church. Mm. And so the original concept was to do this immersive style theater piece that took place in various venues throughout downtown St. Catharines, starting Mm -hmm. at the church and then ending up at City Hall for the flag raising on Emancipation Day. Um, and, you know, we were hoping to partner with local organizations and local businesses and have uh, choirs and mm. vocalists and performances and reenactments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we applied for this money and then COVID happened. Right. And <laughs> things got delayed and derailed. And the uh, foundation we reached out to asked if there's a way for us to adapt our original idea. And then I became interested in making a podcast highlighting, you know, the historical figures that were important in bringing about uh, the abolition of slavery uh, in this region. And, you know, I had like uh, John Simcoe and Chloe Cooley and Harriet Tubman and, you know, a bunch of these figures uh, that either directly or indirectly helped to bring about the end of the, of Mm. of slavery. Mm. And then the murder of Brianna Taylor, Mm. George Floyd, Nina Mm -hmm. Pop, Mm -hmm. Regis Korchinski-Paquette. And my partner and I, we went to Toronto um, in the March for Regis uh, Korchinski-Paquette and walking through just feeling this like charged up electricity for what was going on right now. And, uh, I wanted to speak to that more than I wanted to speak to what had already been happening because like I started chewing on what emancipation day meant, what, mm. like what this idea of freedom is. Everyone was in masks too. So mm-hmm. it was weird that we were like <laughs> marching down, um, Bloor street chanting, um, in solidarity mm-hmm. and, you know, being empowered to resist, mm-hmm. um, uh, the conditions that have been set up long before any of us were here, but we we're still like, we had to maintain a certain amount of distance. Right. Uh, I felt awkward when people were hugging each other. Mm. We had masks on. Like, so they're like, what, what is this container that we are in? Mm. Uh, and then my partner and I had to drive back home. And and like, that was the last time we went out for a while, you yeah, know? So yeah. I started to think about what freedom meant in a time when so many things have been taken away from us due to this like invisible threat yeah (laughs) Yeah. in a sense you know Mm -hmm. um and um uh diane marie bridge who was my dramaturg mentor throughout the process of devising freedom I reached out to Diane to ask if she could direct this immersive walkthrough piece of theater. Mm. And when we had to adjust and make, make a podcast, I think she planted the idea of, you know, a a mixtape. Like what if I told my story, me, Mm. Marcel, and then we reached out to the community to fill in, uh, holes or Mm. pockets or, Mm. or, or, or make it more full. Right. Uh, so we, I developed a call, reached out to the community and said, you know, what is your relationship to freedom today? Mm -hmm. Uh, Essentially that we are in this time of civil and social unrest. That is a moment uh, as a moment. That's been part of this long movement, right? Like this long movement for true equity, equality, and justice. And like, Right now is like like this moment is bubbling. Mm. Uh, and so how are we reacting to this moment? And how are we thinking about the movement overall? And so we had responses from people who were um, descendants of freedom seekers. We had submissions from folks who are, you know, in high school and uh, organizing rallies and chants of their own and and protests of their own at 16 17 years old like there was a a wide range of submissions from people which truthfully was really overwhelming i i did not expect to receive um, so much from this community mm. um, which gave me a sense of pride and and joy in a sense that all this creativity is happening in a place that <laughs> i call i've called my home for like a year and a bit and I, I don't see it like because we're inside. Right. <laughs> so I'm not able to interact or encounter or or bump into all this creativity, but it's here and it's bubbling. And and so all the submissions were sent in um, and we had the difficult task of trying to figure out which ones made it and which ones didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And And then Diane gave me the task of writing, you know, my narration, right? So, so as you listen to the piece, you'll you'll hear my voice, kind of uh, the 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 narrator, the steady rock in between all of the audio segments. And what I was interested in was ancestry, my own, and you know, travel and uh, migration and this like journey of um, you know, black people going from. Africa to the Caribbean to UK to North America. Like what what is in the journeying? And it's fascinating learning about um, I guess, indigenous culture in mm. the Caribbean, mm. um, particularly the Taino people in Jamaica, and learning about the Baothuk people in Newfoundland, and recognizing that the traumas I thought I was dealing with from 2017, 2015 uh, had actually been passed on long before that, Mm. Uh, (laughs) long before that. Um, And so there was a great deal of healing that came through this research. I interviewed my dad. Uh, You'll hear his voice on, on the piece as well. And um, again, further healing and, learning more about his story, his struggle, the joys of his life, uh, how he was kind of going up against the same things when he was in his late 20s, early 30s. And I thought about my granddad and my granddad going through the same things, the same struggles, uh, when you know, in his life, probably worse than what I was experiencing. Um, And, you know, it, it... It dawned on me at some point, uh, I guess, the privilege and responsibility as an artist I have to be able to uh, put these thoughts, these feelings, these emotions, these stories together and share them with the community, as opposed to just carrying them, holding on to them, not being able to release them. You know, in totality, it took about seven weeks to make the Mm mixtape, but it's something that has had been brewing in me for um, probably my whole life, but... uh, at least five or six
1: years. Right. Before you go any further, you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. You can type in one of those two coordinates as well as E L M N T F M, fm and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We want to thank also those listeners that are tuned into other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth, as well as if you are listening on our SoundCloud and or your favorite podcast platform. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Marcel Stewart. And he is the project lead and outreach coordinator for Suitcase in Point. We're talking to Marcel about a project that he put together. He's been talking about it quite eloquently uh, in terms of how it all came together. It's called Freedom, a Mixtape. And I want to, before we go any further, if we have... Piqued your interest so far on this show about the freedom a mixtape. I want to let you know that uh, I spoke with Marcel just prior to this interview, and we are going to feature the entire mixtape which is by the way almost an hour long and we are going to feature that on our show tomorrow right here on moment of truth so we want to thank marcel for allowing us to be able to air this and we feel feel quite honored to be able to do so especially given that it is so timely and it is of course uh black history month in, in February, and it's a pleasure to be able to do those th- those things. So it's a pleasure to have Marcel on the show. Marcel, you you talked about the creativity of this. You talked about the intergenerational trauma that you came across. You talked about the you know finding out about that uh, that that closeness, I guess you might say, or the, that that similar history that both the black and indigenous cultures have have had and in particular you know i found found it really interesting as to what you said about about the history and and it, and it doesn't surprise me but it's you know to hear it said out loud about when the newcomers came to the caribbean and the exposure of the diseases and what we heard about with the indigenous people in north america Exposure to smallpox, exposure to all these diseases which were not there, and how it decimated communities. And of course, hearing about the colonization. And, uh, you know, repeatedly throughout your mixtape, we hear about what's another aspect of colonization? Uh, you know, it's never ending. And uh, do you want to elaborate on that at all?
0: Yeah angela davis i got this quote here angela davis said that the civil rights movement was very successful in what it achieved
1: Mm.
0: the legal eradication of racism and the dismantling of the apparatus of segregation the problem is that it is often assumed that the eradication of the legal apparatus is equivalent to the abolition of slavery Mm. i read that quote (laughs) i don't even know how long ago Mm and to me it said like that there are so many layers to the system mm. and the systems that have been developed created imagined mm. uh before i was even i mean before generations of me were even an mm-hmm. idea uh that like the work is a constant struggle as angela davis said um it's in like the soil, like it's in Mm. the land that we walk on, Mm. which is why, as we were talking earlier, I'm still struggling and, and on this journey of understanding what, what a land acknowledgement means to me Mm. um, because it's not enough to just acknowledge that we are here and that we are, I am here and I'm grateful to be here to, you know, the, the original caretakers who've Mm. been here before me, Mm. but, like the the land was was taken mm. um, fiercely. Mm. You know, a friend of mine mentioned that like this whole nation is was like an economic uh creation mm. um, and and i I just I feel like if there's ever going to be equality, uh true justice above the land, it starts from like under it like the (laughs) like the true soil uh and and i and i don't know i don't know what that means like i'm still again trying to figure out uh uh how i can connect to the land more uh i'm 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 growing and trying and failing and and doing that but uh colonization isn't i mean it's so many things it's you know I, i don't speak in my native tongue i don't even know what my native tongue is i don't even mm. know what my original way of speaking mm. is mm. I, I i think in english mm. and i know that my people did not always think in english yeah it, it, colonization is also <laughs> like um it's hidden it's secretive it's subtle it's uh, we all are in some way benefit or suffer from it uh, regardless if we're aware or not and uh, that's the struggle right. one of the many struggles is the folks who benefit from it and aren't aware of it um, I don't know how we change from that
1: You know, Marcel, you bring up a lot of interesting stories throughout Freedom, and that's why I'm so happy that we're going to be able to air this tomorrow in its entirety, so people can get a sense of exactly what we're talking about and in and around this right now. And the other thing is, I'm just wondering about the fact that even though you know you're exploring your own history and your own your own uh, attachment to the people that were affected in your family and in your generations and that you also reached out to other people that were affected and and what freedom meant to them and that included the indigenous people you you approached some indigenous people and you approached other people to give their stories and include something in this freedom and mixtape and of course that that ex- then you start exploring the relationship and the similarities that we talked about before. Were you were you surprised at all by what you found in in bringing this together?
0: Uh, I think the thing that surprised me most. I, I didn't overtly say uh, that we're only accepting submissions from BIPOC members of the community, mm. like. Um, I was hoping to receive from uh, white members of the community as well and mm. to hear what their relationship to freedom was. Um, and we, I got, or we we, we got one submission, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, oh no, we got two submissions. Uh, and I, I guess I just expected more considering the uh, the population in the Niagara region is predominantly white. Mm. Um, I, I was surprised to not receive as many, because um, I actually kind of hoped that there would be a response to, um, you know, not thinking about how free you are is a sense of freedom, is is a form of freedom, and I, mm. I, I wanted to hear, uh, I wanted to hear the other side of the coin because I, mm. I know about mm. the struggle for right. freedom. Um, and so that didn't surprise me as much. Um, it, although I guess the surprise was how intersectional, uh, the, the responses were, hmm. um, there, there were, you know, I, I tell my partner, I, I, I speak to my, my class a lot about black people, not being a monolith. Hmm. There's so many different types. Uh, so even, you know, that acronym BIPOC, like there's so many, um, uh, types of people, within that acronym and so uh yes we we got a a lot of um artists people of color from the region and they came like they shared pieces that were so varied Uh, i guess that's the surprise Mm. from folk to electronic music to hip-hop to Mm. spoken word uh that part was really cool really cool
1: Marcel, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to, you know, touching base with you again in the future. And I just want to say uh chi gwech and thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show and share your thoughts and this, uh, this project that you put together uh, called Freedom Mixtape. And I look forward to uh, airing this tomorrow on Moment of Truth as a one-hour special.
0: Thank you, David. It's been a real pleasure, uh, treat. Uh, I'm so appreciative of you bringing me on your show that's the voice of marcel stewart and
1: he is project lead and outreach coordinator for suitcase in point and we've been talking to him about suitcase in point as well as freedom a mixtape we're going to air that in its entirety right here on moment of truth tomorrow it's a one hour special don't miss it thank you but don't go away we're going to be right back with more because right after this we have ken richard and he's going to be talking to us about the indigenous spirit front we'll be right back
0: Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.
1: Well, welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm your host, David Moses. And with me on the show, I have with me Mr. Ken Richard. Now, Ken is the founder and until recently the executive director of the Native Child and Family Services of Toronto. And he currently serves as the director of the Indigenous Spirit Fund. And we're going to be talking to Ken about the Indigenous Spirit Fund because they recently launched um, something new for Healthy Outcomes for Urban Indigenous Youth. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about that, but I want to tell you a little bit more about Ken. He holds a Master's in Social Work from the University of Manitoba. He has been practicing social work principally within the Indigenous child welfare system for over 40 years. And that's an interesting point. I want to come back to you to that in a moment. But Mr. Richards is also of Métis and Francophone heritage, specifically from the settlements along the Red and Assiniboine Rivers in Manitoba. Now, Ken is also the recipient of multiple awards, including the Toronto Civil Award of Merit, the Aboriginal Affairs Award, the Chief of Police Community Award, the Salute to the City Award for Outstanding Civic Contribution, the Diamond Jubilee Medal, the Jane Jacobs Lifetime Achievement Award, and most recently, the Meritorious Service Cross, one of the highest civilian honours awarded to Canadians for his achievements. For his actions toward contributing to the quality of Canadian life. So it's a pleasure to welcome Mr. Ken Richard to the show. Ken, welcome.
2: Well, thank you, David. I jumped in a bit early there. No, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to an Indigenous community radio station. My goodness.
1: You know, Ken, before we get into talking about the Indigenous Spirit Fund and recently what was going on there and what is going on, I'd like to ask you about your your time spent over the last 40 years work to say, practicing in social work and particularly in Indigenous child welfare. How would you say that has changed or hasn't changed over that time?
2: Well, it's changed dramatically. Uh, the, uh, the child welfare system that I stumbled into, inadvertently actually back in the 70s in Winnipeg, was a, an apprehension mach- uh, machine. It was a vehicle mm. by which indigenous children were uh, removed. That was the only real service provided, and uh, that their children were uh, scattered uh as far away from their families and communities as possible so it was the time that is now uh, known as the 60 scoop although mm. it was a, uh, uh it was certainly uh, uh, in the 70s when i was in child welfare and uh, started actually in in the 50s so that huge removal of children uh, i'm uh, for example been actively involved with the 60 scoop survivor foundation and uh uh, 35,000 have come forward, uh, 35,000 uh, uh, adults now, but children have come forward uh, uh, to 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 claim uh, a settlement realized through a class action. And uh, so I was in the thick of it in the Children's Aid of Winnipeg. I didn't work there very long. Um, and uh, But what I certainly saw was... Um, Uh, the the continuation of the colonial uh, process of forced removal and assimilation of Indigenous children. Um, I want to say, though, that at the time, Indigenous children were also, there was a high level of distress in the Indigenous communities, particularly in the urban centres. There were no services A lot of folks were coming that were not prepared for life in the city. Mm. And uh, very soon they started falling between the cracks. And pretty soon all those issues that we know that come as a result of unhealed trauma and colonial processes uh, became manifest. So bad housing, addictions, family violence was rampant back then, still is, unfortunately. And child welfare, having no other services available, mm. Mm. simply removed those kids. And uh, that's so what's changed yeah I can give you another uh, that's through a process of of twenty five thirty years of activism on the part of indigenous um, providers uh, or, or politicians and and other stakeholders um, and progressive uh, uh, non-indigenous politicians at the provincial and the federal level you now have uh, uh, lots of opportunity to uh, do uh, things that were not even thought of to do back in the day. And those things are related to, of course, preserving the family, a recognition that a family, Mm. natural family, is the ideal location for children, uh, for any child anywhere, and especially our children, because they have so much invested in that kind of collective world. uh, And... um, so we we um, uh, we now have an opportunity to devote through legislation, through understanding of what works, to do a, an entirely different kind child welfare system under the control of the indigenous sector itself. But more than that, adequately focused on what really matters, and that is not the absence of bruises, which is where child welfare always went. You know, mm. forensic investigation—they don't even call child welfare in child welfare, a family assessment, uh, an assessment. They call it an investigation. Mm. So uh, just shifting that mindset and incorporating, uh, and we have a lot of diversity here, but incorporating indigenous cultural foundations. Uh, we, I think we have uh, right now uh, the promise of, and the delivery in some cases, of a really uh, good, helpful, family pres- preservation-focused child and family services that are not just, as I said, child protection or mm. family supports in every right. conceivable way, including daycare, house adequate housing, adequate income. Let me say this when it's no accident that child welfare Uh, historically has been focused on working with the poor. And when I say working with the poor, I mean removing Mm. the children of the poor. So income was a huge common denominator among, and it still is. Mm. So things like structural changes that give adequate incomes to single mothers is also considered child welfare. That would never have been thought of, dreamed of, conceptualized back in the day Mm. when everybody was simply wanting to be a cop or had to be a cop, or in my case, got out of there quickly enough to do something different. So for mm. me, that something different was activism that led to the founding of Native Child and Family Services in Toronto. I think I'll stop there because <laughs> it's a very long winded response. I know it, it was
1: it was very uh, well informed. I, I sh- thank you for that. Uh, Ken, the other thing you just mentioned, the 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 founding of Native Child and Family Services of Toronto. So how long did you it says until recently? So when did you give up that position?
2: Oh just uh, three years ago, two and a half years ago. so I was the director from 1985 to uh, mm. <laughs> so I don't know really, I stopped counting how many years <laughs> that was
1: and, uh, three years ago, that's all we need so to get quick while you're ahead.
2: <laughs> and uh, you know so here I am doing other stuff uh, uh, that is also interesting, also child welfare related but i I thought I'd pass it on to that that up and coming uh, millennial, mm. indigenous right. millennial crowd, right? It's, you know, they're were they wearing the small suits and, you know, they're, they're very adept with their phones and everything. I thought I'd just kind of pass that on to them and see what they can do with it. So right. we have a new director there, uh, Jeff Shipper, mm-hmm. a great guy. Uh, 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 we'll forgive him for being from the West Coast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the agency is has, has gone through a, trans- a leadership transition, but it's, it's uh, everything I dreamed it to be.
1: Great. Well, congratulations on that. The, the other thing I wanted to just, expand on slightly is, even though it's called Native Child and Family Services of Toronto, you mentioned yourself when you were working in the service uh, in Winnipeg about people migrating to the city. And I'm sure that you found with Native Child Family Services of Toronto that you were getting uh, people uh, from different communities, perhaps around Ontario, if not beyond, that were coming in for your services that had relocated to the city.
2: Well, yeah, Toronto is, 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 as you will know, uh, looking at your, uh, you know, your uh, radio demographics is quite a diverse community. Uh, and that goes for the Indigenous sector as well. Although there's a, uh, I think the majority feels to me like it's Anishinaabe, hmm. you know, there's, uh, there's uh, interestingly enough, a lot of people here that uh, were apprehended and, and adopted out. To, uh, apprehended from northern Saskatchewan and adopted mm. out as mm. uh, say in southern Ontario mm. and now are living in Toronto so we're dealing actually with a overrepresentation of 60 scoop survivors in Toronto mm. but it's also when I say diverse as you know it's a middle there's a big middle class indigenous middle class we're doing very well thank you and uh everything down to what they call, unfortunately, and it's it's a terrible term, the absolute homeless. Mm. And so, one out of four, we know one out of four mm. folks sleeping on grates in Toronto yeah. are yeah. Indigenous person. So we have the huge spectrum of Indigenous experience here. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that that's so that is um, provides opportunity as well, but it provides challenges to find the right sort of when you say cultural foundations, when you say, you know, indigenous and foreign programs and everything, so you got to kind of find, uh, you know, the sweet spot that everybody can kind of uh, identify with. So we use the word, for example, native, at Native Child, mm-hmm. um, well, we chose that word in the 80s, so it was the word of the day. Uh, it's always hard to find the right word, even for us. Um, uh, because it was an inclusionary word. We're not called Anishinaabe Child and Family right. Services or Haudenosaunee Child and Family Services or anything that that takes us to a specific place. Yeah. We need to be as inclusive, as do all the other service agencies in Toronto that take on a big mandate, be inclusive of all those who identify. Mm-hmm. However, and a lot of people in Toronto also have lost their status, you know, the urban process. Is is a process of diminishment of your indigenous status and identity, uh, and uh, so we have uh, like we we st- in the 80s it was about 80 percent of our clients were uh, had first nation status. Now it's like 65, mm-hmm. 70. So mm-hmm. we're seeing that change mm-hmm. over time. Uh, the the in, uh, the, the Reforms to to, to to indigenous legislation, I think, are highly assimilative over the generations, and that's proving to be the case mm. uh, in the cities. But what you have left, however, are indigenous people without the supports of their of, of treaty obligations. Right. And um, yeah, so so lots of challenges. Sure. I've, I've just raised a whole bunch uh, <laughs> in, in one response, but. But uh, making community here is a real challenge, and fitting child and family services into that mix is a challenge. Just the geography of Toronto—it's sixty miles across this city, sixty mm. kilometers across—and mm-hmm. uh, you know how they're Toronto. I'm sure you would know, uh, David, the, how, how miserable it is driving around in Toronto typically. Sure. So you can see the challenges of providing accessible services. Yeah, you know. There's a, there's lots of unique features to this 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 kind of dynamic.
1: Well, can you moved on from uh, the the Native Child and Family Services of Toronto to head up the Indigenous yeah. Spirit Fund, and so you recently had an event. But before we get to the event, tell us something about the Indigenous Spirit Fund.
2: Well, that's uh, so. Here's the, here's the thing: um, the process of of uh, and I, I try to stay away from these sort of banner things like decolonization is a complex word, but I, I want to use it. The, the, uh, fine, and I call it more in colloquial terms, you know, the process of, of owning our, our world and getting in the rooms and establishing our, our identity involves uh, engagement with those uh, who hold uh, the, uh, the, the reins of power. Uh, the the fiscal reins the the, the decision making process and there's multiple levels of that it's not just government civic society propels itself in a certain way we have managed the indigenous sector to do a lo- make a lot of progress in the public sector policies legislation programs um, in infusion of new dollars in my sector alone there's been three billion new dollars invested in the past three years by the mm. federal government mm. so that's all very tangible and i applaud that in terms of going forward it's not enough quite yet but but here's where things are not in uh, from what i can see um, uh, uh, going quite so quickly and that is engagement in the private sector and in this case i'm talking about private sector philanthropy charities um uh, uh, private donators, uh, people who have historically and corporations who have historically had a social con- conscience and the capacity to give all within the confines of charitable law and charitable organizations. So, I mean, all of us have grown mustaches. I haven't, but many have for Movember. Um, we, we've we uh, done a nice bucket challenge. Uh, uh, we send money to the Salvation Army at Christmas time. We do all of that, but... Uh, I'm saying, wait a second, wait a second. Where are the indigenous kids in all of this, particularly when you talk about children's charities? Mm. Um, and they're, they're, they're fairly invisible. They have historically been invisible, referenced here and there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, I'm let me give you an example. and I, I don't want to make sure I don't reference any particular agency in Toronto, but there's a charity that works with homeless youth, and it has an extensive uh, campaign of uh, t- uh, television ads. And it shows a white girl in the subway. And it flashes to a white baby saying, how young do they have to be? Mm -hmm. And when I say white, I mean, the the, the white, uh, uh, there was just no hint of anything other than a kind of what they think might be a neutrality, but obviously is not.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: The fact is one out of four youth on the street is indigenous Mm -hmm. in their campaign. There was no reference to that. And I go, well, what are you selling? Uh, well you're selling a myth Mm. but you're also uh, taking us all away from an opportunity to have a really hard-ass conversation about the nature of youth homelessness and what programs should actually work
1: Mm.
2: so so uh, I also see kids being awarded and thank god we have our own inspire Mm -hmm. Um, uh, otherwise I don't know who would ever get awarded but you Know we have an award program at Native Child uh, at the Indigenous Spirit Fund called the Indigenous Spirit Award, which I can talk about in a moment. Mm-hmm. But you never saw our kids on stage unless we did it ourselves, you know. Um, and uh, so there's a number of programs in Toronto charities that give awards to children and such. Uh, since something called the Lee Awards many years ago seemed to lapse, there hasn't been a single award program that I'm aware of uh, for Indigenous children, youth, or families. So I really wanted to fill that gap. But more than anything, I wanted to um, get into a conversation about, um, about how we do charity. What is charity in the context of Canadian and Indigenous relations? Um, we're not in the room. We want to get in the room, but we don't want to get in the room meekly. Uh, we want to get in the room in a way that is a collaborative conversation around sharing the resources. And I'll take us to the one dish, one spoon agreement mm-hmm. that says uh, Great Lakes are bountiful and must, those resources must be shared among all the communities that inhabit that area. And I just want to bring the charitable sector into that.
1: Okay, well, the the Indigenous Spirit Fund, as you were just talking about, uh, the description I have is it's trying to change the narrative of reconciliation through philanthropy and create opportunities for Canada's private, philanthropic, and charitable sectors to build new art relationships with with Indigenous families and organizations uh, that serve them. And uh, community-focused and based in the Toronto area, the work will focus on local and regional initiatives that benefit Indigenous children and families.
2: That's exactly right. And the tangible examples of that, uh, David, are the um, we have a summer camp that is it's like golden for the for for the kids and their families now because we're bringing whole families up there. They're sleeping in, op- in the open in Plains Cree uh, teepees, which everybody loves, you know, a little fire and then we do it all right. And uh, it's all it's a, everything's cooked, uh, you know, just a little cookhouse. Otherwise, it's all outdoors. These are inner city kids. A lot of them live in basements or in high-rises in public housing. Mm. They have no money to purchase these sorts of services for themselves. So it's a free camping experience for kids that we identify as needing it, but also in poverty and not being able to afford it. And uh, it's, it's, as I said, the, the if you ask a kid what the most uh, favorite thing they have in mind about their childhood, one of the things that comes up. Repeatedly now, as so I was a counselor, I was at the summer camp at mm. the uh, Native mm. Child. Mm. So they call it Grundy Camp; it's their language, and um, it's created a whole community of children and youth. Mm. And we're very proud of the program. And of course, it's it's not well funded; uh, it's poorly funded. It should be expanded. We don't have the dollars to do that. So this is an area where um, uh, people who want to help Indigenous children in Toronto can can. Donate some money, and that money will go directly to a, a highly valued, indigenous-based and controlled summer camp experience. So it's, it's, it's uh, that to us was marketable, and it's proven to be the case with the kind of support that we've been getting, uh, which is just starting. Right. We haven't really started a campaign, but we got some friends already, so we yeah. appreciate that. Okay.
1: You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates, as well as ELMNT-FM, and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, we'd also like to welcome those other stations that are carrying Moment of Truth. We welcome those listeners, as well as if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, It is a pleasure to have you all here on the show, as well as our guest, Ken Richard. He is our guest, and he is the founder of the Native Child and Family Services of Toronto. He was, until recently, the executive director. He has now moved on to direct the Indigenous Spirit Fund, which we are talking to him about right now. And, you know, Ken, one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking, people people are outside of the Toronto area and listening to this, they might be thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. It's outside of, you know, I, I live outside of the area. But, you know, don't forget, there's a lot of people that have relatives, they have friends, they have people that might be able to take advantage of some of these services that you were talking about that are in the, the Toronto area. Now, the Indigenous Spirit Fund itself... Uh, you recently had an event, I know, that was online to celebrate some youth and uh, some other other things. Do you want to tell us about that?
2: I, I do, because, you know, never mind what I say, there's some uh, very uh, poignant moments in that. Uh, and what it, what it was was a launch of our website. Mm-hmm. But uh, part of that was the first uh, uh, award ceremony for the Indigenous Spirit Award. And we gave that award to... Uh, four individuals, two under 15, and uh, two, uh, as you can imagine, over 15 to 29. And it was uh, very moving. We also, uh, and their speeches were, uh, you know, (laughs) I I just wanted people to, if you want the real voices of real people here in Toronto, this is a good example of uh, the strength, but also some of the challenges. So we gave that award um, and we just, uh, again, uh, walked in i i call it going down kind of the stairs uh as a debutante so walking into the room uh being presented to the world so we did that virtually we were going to have a gala originally which was going to be a big dinner on the roof of our building well never mm. mind that <laughs> so we as they say pivoted and apologies for using that word um to uh to this online feature of our uh web- website launch and it was it's it's recorded. It's at Native Child and Family Services a website, and we are uh, in terms of a link. And it's also a standalone mm. website. And mm. I think you just Google Indigenous Spirit Fund, and you're going to get it.
1: Okay. Yes. And uh, of course, the IndigenousSpiritFund.org is the website for Indigenous Spirit Fund. That's right. If people want right. to find out more about and, that, they can go there.
2: And it explains uh, a, a, a better than I. In my ramblings, the uh, the uh, purposes of the fund and how you might get involved, or just 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 show support if we have uh, in any way you can. We we've got a, a we're trying to establish a Instagram and Facebook and all that presence. So anybody who sees us, please like us because you know we're, we're new. <laughs> we need support and help.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I caught some of that event, Ken, and I have to say that it was quite uh, animated. Some of the uh, receivers were uh, lovely to watch.
2: Oh, that that's good to hear. And, you know, we had, uh, we dressed it up a little bit. We had Drew Hayden Taylor, yep. you know, our, I call him the cross between Stephen Leacock and Marcus and Joe, who's just <laughs> a great humorist and big personality.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, we had a, a lovely, presentation of a a star blanket uh, from uh, Alice Williams out of Curve Lake. And she's uh, famous for her quilts. And, uh, and we gave these kids, you know, we, we got the money from the bank of Montreal. We gave these kids and these young people um, the value of Mm. $3,000, 2,500 went into a investment instrument and another 500 just for them to Mm. have To spend as they like, because, Mm -hmm. you know, all of them had a poverty background. Right. So this was no small thing. It was a very big, and you can tell through uh, through the reception that you you witnessed when you uh, had a look at it.
1: Yes, absolutely. So again, the Indigenous Spirit Fund, uh, from your own words, Ken, is at the highest level, uh, there to give the philanthropic community an opportunity to actively participate in reconciliation. And all funding goes directly to indigenous children and their families who need support sometimes just to survive.
2: That's right. Um, it's, um, and, uh, uh, we take, uh, our, uh, sort of, uh, uh, base from, uh, a declaration, uh, that uh, many charities have signed on to, uh, that was created by the Centre uh, for Philanthropy uh, for Aboriginal Peoples in Ottawa, and it says, you know, um, we uh, we have to uh, remember uh, what's happened in the colonial process. We also have to understand and acknowledge all that, but it's really about, you know, new relations, new relationships. So uh, the, the this declaration talks about them sharing their networks and their voices and helping the indigenous sector. It also talks about building relationships with with Aboriginal charities and such, and exploring new opportunities. So uh, the system itself, the charitable system itself, wants to connect, wants to reconcile, it wants to get Uh, supports to Indigenous children and families. There hasn't been doorways. You know, Toronto, unfortunately, suffers from a lot. It's got too much diversity. uh, It's easy to get lost. (laughs) I don't mean too much diversity. I love it. Believe me, living here. I live here for a reason. But it's easy to get lost in in all the issues. It's been difficult to establish an Indigenous presence here, although we're a big population. Mm. And uh, things like this uh, certainly assist in community building. And, um, I, I, you know, and I think this is one of the last, as I said in my opening comments, you know, one of the last bastions of uh, yeah. that has seemingly not moved at least considerably. You know, the last research I did on philanthropic engagement with Indigenous communities was uh, 3% of charitable dollars go to Indigenous children. And, uh, you know, I thought, wow, that seems a little low, yeah. <laughs> considering our toxic se- uh, statistics that, uh, that oh. we uh, get numb listening to. So yeah. clearly there's a, a job to do here, probably right across the country and right across Ontario. I just want to comment about is this good for Ontario? Well, I will tell you, we're trying this at the local level. But we are very well connected with the Indigenous Child and Family Service System to the Association of Native Child and Family Services of Ontario, and at the right time, uh, we we will certainly certainly expand the horizons. Uh, you take one piece at a time. You know, it's like eating the elephant. Eh? Mm-hmm. So um, so uh, don't 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 think it's just a Toronto phenomenon. Is what right. I'm saying. This need is everywhere, and the response should be inclusive.
1: Okay, a couple of minutes left, Ken. Just uh, you were mentioning there about the work to do. I'm just wondering about the future and what you're you're looking to hope to accomplish and do with uh, the Indigenous uh, Spirit Fund uh, coming up in the future.
2: Uh, Uh, Yeah, well, we're gonna uh, we've established our uh, our virtual uh, presence, Mm. and we we're in the room now. We we have to undertake a, a campaign. I think charitable donations are down like forty percent this this mm. past year. Wow. So mm. it's a, you know it's the worst time to jump in, but <laughs> you know uh, everything happens for a reason, and we're jumping in. So look look to some kind of campaign. Look to another press release, and thank you for responding to this one. Uh, in the future, then will talk more specifically about what we plan to do.
1: And it would be very nice to have you back on to talk about those specifics and see how things are going. Ken, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for talking to us about the Indigenous Spirit Fund. We look forward to having you back on the show in the future.
2: Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Goodbye.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Ken Richard. He is the director of the Indigenous Spirit Fund. It's been a pleasure having him on the show, and it's been a pleasure having you listen to the show each and every day right here on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses.
0: Element. Element. Element FM.